1: It's good to see all of you here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, If we've not had an opportunity to meet yet, my name is JP. I would love an opportunity to meet with you after service, uh, recognizing that this is the first Sunday of the year. And so I know sometimes people are kind of reestablishing that rhythm of coming to church. And so welcome, and we'd love to have an opportunity to connect if we have not done so already. We are, um, as we just heard, we're starting a brand new series called Revive. And what I want to do is, is give a little bit of a reason well, we'll explain why in a second, but I want to give an illustration first. Um, I've been here, uh, coming up in February will be five years, and it took me four and a half years to finally get my office the way that I wanted. Um, and, and so one of those, it's just, I was trying to navigate all the different things and different changes, and so I'm like, do I really need to like decorate my office? But then I'm also like, I don't know how you all are, um, but I'm someone like, the space where I'm at, if that is organized, or at least... Even if it's just organized to me, right? Because Steph would be like, where is everything? Well, I know where it is. And so it's like, maybe you have that where it's organized to you, but not to anyone else. But I I needed to get it situated. And so um, I was able to get some paint in there and hang um, some crosses from different places throughout the world from a collection that um, a a professor when I was at APU encouraged um, all of us to just, you know, he shared a collection he had. I'm like, oh, I want to start something like that. So put those up, started organizing books, and then... Um, I've shared before in previous times, my wife Stephanie, she's very good with plants. And so I'm like, honey, can you help me um, just kind of bring some plant life into this and make it look good? So we ended up spending a little bit of money on plants. Um, Let's go to the first picture here. And there's more, like this isn't all of it, but this was, I sent this picture to her on August 29th because I just put him in there and I thought, I said, honey, doesn't this how does it look like? What do you think? She had purchased the plants at Trader Joe's. We got some of these um, things from um, either uh, Home Depot or some other place. I don't even remember, but um, we ended up getting all this, and so I was so excited. I'm like, I have plants. I have my office. It looks great. Let me show you how the plants are doing this morning when I took the pictures here. Uh, so you could see these um, are not doing. This one is by the by the light, so it just kind of grew sideways. Um, this one, you it's literally dead. Like, you can't even see it, Um, and they're the same plants. Like, I didn't straight, and then these ones, you know, there's a little bit there, and then it's, um, there's some dead ones there, but this is even better than it was last week, because Gail from our church, she was working on doing some of the stuff around here, and so I was like, can you just, like, help, like, just clip the whatever, and so she did, she made this look better than it actually was, even just a week ago. So, just recognizing that I remember, especially with this one, which don't worry, we'll get a better close-up later, um, was saying, it's like, hey, so I'm guessing this one can't be fixed, right? And so it's like, no, 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 that one is dead. Like, there is nothing you can do. It is like, uh, what is it, Jacob Marley, like, dead as a doornail, right? Like, there is no way to come back from this. And I bring this up because what... Some of us may be coming into this year, and we're coming in, and we've still got a lot of light. we have still growing, and maybe we could get pruned here or there, or maybe we could see some improvement. Maybe some of us have some things that were, it's not ideal, but we want to be able to grow still. Maybe some of us are coming into this feeling, when it comes to our relationship with God, just absolutely dead. We feel like we don't hear his voice when we pray. We feel like we read his word and it just looks like empty words on a page without any meaning or without any impact. We feel like we cry out to God and instead of hearing a loving father's voice, maybe we feel like we just hear silence. Maybe we're coming into this year just feeling wiped out. And yet, friends, I would like to encourage you that this morning that my plant is not going to come back to life. Like, there's no Lazarus, like, Jesus raising from the dead at the end of this for this plan. But no matter how far away from God you may have traveled, no matter how distant he seems to you, no matter how much it feels like you're talking to the air and the, you know, the Bible means nothing, no matter how far gone you may think, there is always a chance to have your relationship with God revived. His arm is not too short. His power is not too short-lived or, or can't extend far enough. No matter, and, and this is important too, and there's no amount of sin that you've had that can take you beyond his reach. So it may be things that have happened to you that are really difficult, and maybe things that you've done or not done that you should have done, that we should have done, that have caused us to maybe feel like we're, we're lagging and we are hurting in our relationship with God. But friends, there can be hope for revival in your relationship. And we're going to spend the first five weeks this month of January looking at and referring to a book uh, from Andy Stanley called Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. And so... We're not going to—it's called Revive because I wanted to give it a different emphasis. But the idea was he lists when you talk to people about, hey, how, what was it like when God first became real to you? Or how, what was it that really encouraged you to grow in your relationship with God? And some of these things are things that, again, have happened to you that you have no control over. But as we'll see, there are other things that we can intentionally do to align ourselves up to hearing God's voice, to obeying what he calls us to do, to living the life he has for us. And it doesn't mean we won't have difficult circumstances, but it means that when the difficult circumstances come, our lives will be built upon a foundation, a foundation that can withstand the storms. And so he, gives, he calls it the five things God uses to grow your faith. I like things that rhyme, so, and it goes with our series. So we're going to call these the five to revive. So let's go to the next slide. These are the five things. We're not going to hit all of them today. This is a brief series intro, and we'll spend the rest of January unpacking each one of these. But it's practical teaching, providential relationships, private disciplines, personal ministry, and pivotal circumstances. Like I said, some of these things, like Practical teaching, you can find and line yourself up into a place where you're learning. Providential relationships, sometimes God just brings people in your life. You don't even plan for it, but you just become open to it. And God might bring people who help you in your walk. Private disciplines, this is something that you all can do. We're in the beginning of a new year where we may have resolutions to get healthier or to be more intentional or to be more productive or to do whatever it may be. And those can be good things. But what would it look like if we use that same level and the same degree of intentionality to pour into our relationship with God, to be able to grow and to do things maybe privately that not everyone sees but disciplines that we do in order to draw close to him. Personal ministry, our next series and starting in February is going to look at how has God shaped you to be able to be used by God in ministry. So we'll unpack that more. And then pivotal circumstances, this is the one that we have the least amount of control over. These are the ones when you get the phone call about a cancer diagnosis. These are the ones where you find out about your child that's going through something and they're off to college and they're really struggling. This is the time when a marriage disintegrates and you didn't even know that it was on the brink. These are the times when circumstances come. You can't control them. But God can use the most difficult circumstances in our lives to to shot put us or to, to launch us into greater faith. In the same way that God can use the darkest moment in all of history, the cross on Good Friday, to launch what was the greatest redemption story and the hope and purpose of our lives through Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. So we're going to look at these over the next five weeks, but today we're going to start with number one, looking at practical teaching. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, or whether they're watching or listening on demand throughout the week. God, I pray that each and every person who hears my voice, Lord, would know that they are deeply loved by you. And that they would know that you created them, you shaped them, you molded them, you know the the hairs on their heads, the number of days on their lives, the tears on their pillows, the cries of their hearts. You know us and you love us. And so, God, I pray that we would feel your presence this morning. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And may you be honored and glorified. May you speak to us, and may we respond in a way that pleases you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're entering the practical teaching, we're going to be in Matthew 7 for a little bit, and then we're going to land a little bit more in Luke chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, or if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the seat pocket, um, seat rack in front of you. Um, You can follow online. If you're watching online, you can click the Bible tab at the top of your screen. Again, we'll start in Matthew 7 verse 24, but then we're also going to jump and spend most of our time in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. So as we're getting there, we all know... That you can hear something, you can learn something, you can can have a good idea about something, but unless if we actually take the steps to change our lives in accordance to it, it doesn't end up making a huge difference. And Jesus knew this too. In fact, Andy Stanley in his book says it this way, in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles taught for the purpose of application, of applying what was being said. It It was very clear. He would give directives and say, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. It was for application and not just knowledge. Jesus knew that simply knowing truth makes no difference. It's application that brings about change. Maybe we push back against that a little bit. Maybe we think, no, 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 we we, we need to have biblical knowledge. Absolutely you do. But how many times do you and I know things, but we don't live it out? Maybe it's the thing where we know that getting a good night's sleep is a really healthy choice. We should get, you know, seven to nine hours, but how many of us end up staying too late scrolling on Instagram or putting on another show on Netflix? Maybe maybe we know that we ought to eat healthy, but then you go anywhere. The portions are big, the food is delicious, and you think, what's one more? Maybe we know that we shouldn't get into consumer debt. We know that that the slave is, or excuse me, the borrower is slave to the lender. And so if we owe something to someone because we've borrowed money, then we are in a place where now we are indebted until that debt is paid. Maybe we know that, and yet we still enter into it. Maybe we know how important it is to floss and none of us do it, right? Some of you do. Um, But the idea of we know that that's healthy for your heart, there's so many things that we know that are good to do, but all the knowledge in the world without applying it does us no good. I have a confession that I hope does not um, cause you to lose respect to me as a pastor. Um, There was a time recently where our girls uh, were asked if they knew all the books of the Bible in a row. And some of you maybe grew up um, in the church and there was a song or different songs where you would learn you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you would know the whole song. And so you, oh, I know all the books of the Old Testament in order, and I know all the books of the New Testament. See, I didn't grow up in that. I didn't learn those. And so I have a good idea, but, man, I got Some of those minor prophets, I don't know where they go, right? Like, there's a lot of epistles near the end where I have a good idea, but it's sometimes I'm like, is 1 Thessalonians before or after 2 Thessalonians? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I know it comes before 2 Thessalonians. Don't no worry. So it's acknowledging that I... There are some things I don't know about the Bible like that, but maybe some of you know the songs, but we don't live according to the words. We don't live according to what we're taught and how to apply it. And so if that did cause you to lose respect for me as a pastor, please just stay with me for the next 20 minutes, all right? So here's what I want to say. We all, you, me, all of us, we build a foundation upon something in our lives, Maybe it's the foundation of what other people think. Maybe it's the foundation of I need to win or compete or be the best. Maybe it's the foundation of recognizing that money is going to provide us comfort and security. So the more I, I own, the better I feel about my life. Maybe it's about what certain authors think or certain people in your life. Maybe you've had a, a godly parent or maybe you've had some less than godly parents who've given you um, insight, and you've built our foundation upon something. We all have a foundation upon which we build our lives. Every one of us. So the first question that we're gonna approach in Matthew seven is just where do we build it? Where is that foundation? What does that look like and why is that important? So in Matthew chapter 7, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first sermon, Matthew 5 through 7. And he closes it with this section. He gives the parable of the wise builders. Now, we're going to look at the parallel passage of the wise builders in Luke 6 a little bit more in depth. But the focus for Matthew 7 in this case is the answer of where we build. Luke 6 will show us how we build. So Matthew 7, where we build, it says this. And therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He builds it on the rock. The rain came down. It's not on the screen, so stay there for a sec. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against it, that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Friends, many of you know that last week on Christmas Day, that San Diego was the warmest place in the whole country. And it was one of those where um, there are times when it's like, man, it's so, earlier this year, San Diego was one of the least, like the least affordable place to live in the country. And it's one of those where you recognize, okay, why is it so, like, it's so expensive, but we live here. And why? It's because there are days on Christmas Day where this is the warmest, most beautiful place in the country. And you think about, like, we have, we're we're hearing the news, and it's like, oh, people are, they're literally, um, it was in, it was actually in Canada, so it kind of destroys the country idea. But in Canada, there were houses that were encased in ice. Like it was because the wind chill right by uh, Lake Erie, I believe it was. Like it was, like they were encased in ice. It's like we were wearing short sleeve shirts on on last Sunday, right? Like we were. It was eighty degrees or whatever. And why? People will pay more because of a location. We're willing to have this be a less affordable place to live because, as many people might refer to it, we have the sunshine tax. We live in America's finest city. We love living here. It's not perfect. No place is perfect. But we love living here, but it's because the location means that it's worth some of the extra cost. If you're into you know real estate, you know that you can have like what a small place is here will be sold for far more than other places throughout our country. Because Jesus knew what we know about real estate is that it's about location, location, location. He says this: it's building your house on the rock. It's acknowledging that all of us will build a foundation of our lives somewhere. Will we build it in a place and on a foundation that will withstand the storms? Friends, the storms came, the floods rose, the wind battered and beat against that house. Verse 25 and verse 27 that compares the two different builders, the two different homes, The same pitfalls, the same same storms, the same struggles, the same trials, the same tribulations hit both builders and both homes. Building your life on Jesus' words does not mean you will be without trouble. It means that he will be with you in the trouble. It does not mean you will not have storms. It means that we follow the Savior who can calm the storms. It's recognizing that bad things will happen this year to you. I don't know what degree that looks like. I don't know. You're like great, happy New Year. I'm out of here. Like bad things will happen, but our good God remains the same, and we could build our foundation upon Jesus. First Corinthians three eleven says that there could be no other foundation than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Earlier this week, we were talking to our girls about Christ as the cornerstone, which makes us sound way holier. Like, how did you do today? Well, I talked to Jesus. I talked about Jesus with the cornerstone with my kids. But we were talking about how when you want to build something, Christ as that cornerstone needs to be perfect. So that when the cornerstone is built there, and it has to be perfectly square, perfectly everything, so that when you build the other stones on either side of it, it stays true, it stays solid, and it can withstand. And so we're talking about that during one of our devotionals and it's this idea of Jesus is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. But the way we build that, the where is important, the foundation on the rock versus on the sand. We build our lives on any other foundation than Jesus and his words. We're living our lives on shifting sand. Anything else, even good things, is living our lives, building our lives on shifting sand. So, where we build is vitally important location 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 but how we build is equally important we go to a place and we find where we can build our lives and this is Jesus Christ his words and how to live following him but how we build is important too and we're going to unpack this because in Luke chapter 6 verse 46 again this is at the end of it's called the sermon on the plain and so it's it's He came and he went to a flat area and Luke chapter six has many of the same teachings, not all of them, but many of the same teachings as Matthew five through seven in the Sermon on the Mount. And so when we look at this, Luke six combines a lot of the different ideas that we see in Matthew five through seven and Luke six, the same parable Jesus uses to close out this sermon. And so he starts it with a question that should impact a lot of us. If we call Jesus Lord, he asks this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I've used this illustration before, but maybe some of us are a little bit newer to it. Uh, there's a pastor named Francis Chan who I heard him speak, and he shared this illustration about a time in which he has uh, a daughter, and he has multiple kids, but one of his daughters. He says, hey, honey, I want you to go clean your room. And she says, okay, okay. And the next day comes, and he looks at her room, and it hasn't been cleaned. And so he says, hey, honey, I, I asked you to, you know, I asked you to clean your room. Can you please clean your room? And she says, Dad, I thought about what you said, and I think it's important to clean my room. He says, great, clean your room. Okay, goes back the next day later and says, she says, honey, your room still isn't clean. What, what's going on? I asked you to clean your room. She says, Dad. I brought a couple of my friends over and we sat in my room and we talked about what it would be like if I cleaned my room. How cool that would be, what that would be like. He's like, that's great, honey, but clean your room. He says, okay, okay. Comes back, and then he says, What if I were to say, what if she did this? This is all made up illustration, but he says, What if I were to say, hey, honey, your room still isn't clean. I've asked you several times, but you're still not cleaning the room. He says, Dad. You know what I did? I did a personal study and I studied the Greek of what the word clean your room is and I decided that I'm gonna clean my room. And at this point he's like, just clean your room, right? Like as parents, you're just like, just do what I'm asking you because we're, we have this relationship and if I'm asking you to do something, I want you to do it. And you may not always understand why, you may not always like it, you may not even see the value in it, but if Jesus says do it, then we do it says, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus says, love your enemies, and if you are just as venomous and spit the same vitriol to your enemies as the rest of the world, how are we going to shine a light for him? How are people going to see our good deeds and praise their Heavenly Father? If we say, no, pray for those who persecute, and you're like, I don't want to because they're awful, then if we won't pray for them privately, and if we don't go on before God on their behalf privately, then how are we gonna ever be able to find reconciliation or restoration publicly? It's not easy, but it's, there are times when we pray for someone else. It's sometimes hard to still see someone as an enemy when you're praying and going before the God of the universe on their behalf. And not the prayer that's like, can you fix them because they're the worst, right? Like just praying that God would do a work in their lives. Why do we say, Lord, Lord? Or why do we call Jesus Lord? And do not do what he says. If you had an employer or a boss told you to do something and you just kept not doing it, you wouldn't have a job. If you have, if you're a teacher or excuse me, if you're a student and they say, hey, do these assignments and you just don't do it, you fail. Now, we can still love Jesus, And we could still have a relationship, but we need to do what he says if we call him Lord, if we have that relationship with him. So here's what verse 47 says as we continue on, because this sets the tone. Verse 46 sets the tone for the next few verses. And here's what verse 47 says. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. And so how was it well built? What was it? What did they do? And what does Jesus say about how to make that happen? So we're going to look at here is how do we build? So let's go to the next slide, please. How can we build on Jesus' teachings? And so the first thing that he says, well, he doesn't say attendance specifically, but here's what it is. The idea of attendance. Attendance. What does the scripture say? Let's go to the slide. As for everyone who hears, or excuse me, who comes to me. As for everyone who comes and puts himself in a position to hear God's teaching. Now, yes, that can come from a Sunday morning service or sermon. That could be part of a small group where you're learning how to make something practical and to learn. But attendance, to be attentive and to be attending and hearing what it is that God has to say. So I want to congratulate everyone who's in this room because you officially have Perfect attendance for 2023 at church. And so very good on you. I appreciate that. Um, But recognizing that being here is important. It's important to build relationships with one another. It's important for us to worship God together, to be in the word together, to experience the warmth of relationships together. These are important things. And attending is important. But let me ask you this. If I... Um, when I had a gym membership a couple years ago, I would have my bag where I'd put in like my um, work clothes. I'd put in my stuff to be able to shower afterwards, my towel. I'd have my, my bag, my lock for the locker. I would have my flip-flops to go into the shower to be able to like not, you know, just to feel cleaner. And so um, I would have all that stuff and I would go and I'd work out. And um, by the end of it, I would get ready and, and then I would head into work. If I were to create my bag... I pack the flip-flops, I I pack the towel, I pack the clothes, I pack the, the shower stuff, I pack everything. And then if I were just to walk into the gym and just sit down and watch everyone work out, am I getting any healthier? Well, I attended, but you did nothing with where you were. I showed up. Awesome. Show up. Is it good to go to the gym? Yes. Is it good and important and valuable and vital to be a part of the church and be here? Yes, but attendance can't be everything. It is an important thing, but it can't be the only thing. If the degree or the depth of your relationship is the 45 minutes of a sermon on a Sunday morning, then friends, your life and your, your walk with God is going to wither away. If you were to only eat one meal out of the whole week, you are going to be unhealthy. So when people say, oh, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm growing at the church, and I've had people share that with me, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, like, what, what's the rest of your life look like when it comes to walking with God? And if the answer is, I only come on a Sunday morning, well, friends, my job is to, to help us look at practical teachings of Jesus and God's word. My job isn't to feed you every day of your lives. But the idea is to say, hey, listen, Whoever comes to me, whoever shows up, whoever is in attendance will be available to line themselves up to hearing Jesus' practical teachings, to hearing God's word, and then wrestling with what it looks like to put those into practice. So Andy Stanley says it this way in his book. He says, if we want a difference in our lives, if we want our faith to show up in practical ways, if we want to see God at work, we have to do and not just hear whatever Jesus tells us this contrasts with the common religious mindset today that believers excuse me that believes consistent attendance at church is what counts most does it count yes do i want to see all of you have 100% perfect attendance next week as well yes but if the degree and the depth of your relationship with jesus is sitting in one of these brown chairs and nothing else it's like me walking into a gym prepared to have a back and not doing Anything and not working out. It's it's good to be here and we want you here. We love that you're here. We honor those of you who are here with us and those of you who are joining online, but that can't be the only thing. Our world believes that attendance is enough. I remember when I was at UC San Diego, I had a class that was Foundations of Religion and And it was taught from a, it wasn't a biblical class, right? It was going through all these different world religions. And they didn't take attendance. They didn't, we didn't have any tests uh, throughout the, the quarter. We didn't have any homework. We didn't have any essays. We didn't have any assignments. What we did have was one third of our grade was our midterm and two thirds of our grade was our final. And so, all the pre- so if you were a bad test taker or struggled with that, like this would be a really bad class because all the pressure is on those two tests. But you know what caused, you know, even though they didn't track attendance, knowing that a test was coming, do you, do you believe that I was attended every single class knowing that all my grades were consistent upon or um, had to do with how well I do? Absolutely. They didn't count attendance, but attendance counted. When we come to church, we're, we're not going to keep an eye on how many of you show up in what week, but your attendance does count so that we could align ourselves to put ourselves in position to hear. So anyone who comes to me and hears my words, and this is Jesus speaking, not me speaking, whoever hears Jesus's words and puts them into practice is building a foundation. Number two, not just attendance, but attention, Right? You could show up here and if you have, you know, if you have long hair and you put your Bluetooth in and your AirPods in, you're just listening to the football game all day. Like, you're attending, but you're not attentive. There's not attention there. So here's here's how he puts it here. Let's go to the next slide. It's anyone who comes to me and hears my words. Not just someone who just daydreams and, and just thinks, oh, you know, I'm just got to get through this sermon. Or I just got to get through this so I can do what I really want to do the rest of my Sunday or, you know, whatever it looks like. It's who's here, who's attending, who's present, and then who's attentive to hear what Jesus has to say. You ever been, uh, maybe if you're married and you're on a date or whether you're just hanging out with a friend and you go to coffee or you go to a meal and you're like, hey, we're here. And so if I were to take Steph out on a date, And we sit across from one another, and the entire time my attention is on my phone. Will she feel like we've gotten closer together? Of course, because I'm texting her. What do you think? I'm just kidding. It's like, it's recognizing I could be in attendance, I could be present and not fully present, I can be here and not actually here. And so it's coming to Jesus, it's approaching him, it's being in attendance to line yourself up to hearing what God's word says in a context that you can make it applicable. And then it's hearing his words. And what is it that he's saying? So what is Jesus saying to you today? That's why I pray that I would decrease and that he would increase so that God's spirit speaks to you in a way that only he knows the struggles that you have or the questions you're asking or the things you're wrestling with. And only he knows the application that would be applicable, no no pun intended, for you to take home today or for you to take with you as you turn off the screen today. James 1, he unpacks this when he talks about do not merely be listened to the word. We need to listen, but that can't be the only thing. Is attendance important? Yes, but can it be the only thing? No. Is attention, listening, and hearing important? Yes. Can it be the only thing? No. Why? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and After looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Put yourself in a place of attendance. Come, listen, and it won't just be me, but anyone who's preaching on the stage will preach and strive to preach biblical, practical teachings, ones that point us to how God's word relates to our lives, not just interesting biblical knowledge that I can store away somewhere, but the idea of how does this impact how I live? How does this impact how I love? How does this impact how I lead? How does this impact how I serve? So we attend, but then we're also attentive. We listen. We hear what Jesus has to say. And we allow ourselves, the more we are attending and putting ourselves in a position to hear God's word, and the more we are attentive to his voice, the more clearly we will hear when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Because a shepherd and a sheep have a relationship in which the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. The sheep says, stop doing that. Or sorry, the shepherd says, stop doing that. Sheep listens. Shepherd says, hey, I want you to step into this role. The sheep obey. The shepherd says, I want to guide you through a difficult valley. In fact, the valley of the shadow of death, but lo, I will be with you. The sheep follow. So we have attendance, attention, and the last one, and the most important one, and the one that all the quotations we've been using so far point to is application. Attendance, attention, application. This is called practical teaching. That's what that Andy Stanley talks about, that there are times in our lives when you may have been to church services your whole life and maybe you remember the time when God's word came alive to you. You remember the time when you heard someone explain something in such a way that the light bulb clicked on. And you realize, wait, 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 wait! I thought it was this, and yet this whole time I've had this misconception of how to follow God. But listening to God's word, attending, being attentive, and then now I'm like, no, no, no! This is what it's like. I can't earn my salvation. It doesn't matter how good I am, how many times I do the right thing, or anything. I can't earn it. I don't deserve His love, but it's a gift. Well, I respond graciously and gratefully to the generous gift rather than feeling entitled, but God, you owe me because of, look at how many times I went to church last year. You owe me because of how, many, how long my streak is in my Bible app. You owe me because of how much I give or how much I serve or whatever it is. Friends, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. And if it wasn't for the grace of the cross of Christ, that would be extremely discouraging. But yet, because the wages of sin is death, but the grace of Christ Jesus is eternal life. We may not be able to earn it, but we get to receive it. Because the gift was free, not for us, not for Jesus. It was free t- for us, but it cost him everything. See, there's a quotation from Dallas Wheeler that talks about how grace, the understanding of the idea of grace, is not the opposite of Effort. We still work on our relationship with God. It's not that we just say, hey, I've got grace. I don't need to do anything to grow. Grace isn't the opposite of effort. It's the opposite of earning. It's the mindset that says, I have to earn this love. I have to earn God. Grace says it's been given. But Paul still calls us to work out our salvation. We are still called to lean into and following God's word. We're still called to take up our cross and follow him. We're still called to do what he calls us to do and say, Lord, Lord, we will do what you say. Grace isn't the opposite of effort. We still work on our relationship with God. It's the opposite of earning and thinking that God owes us so that we can do it on our own. Application. The last part of Luke 6, 46 or 47, excuse me, puts them into practice. Anyone who comes to me, who is in attendance and hearing, and to be clear, yes, I'm talking about coming to a, a church service when it comes to attendance, I'm talking about being in a small group where you wrestle with God's truth, but we could come to Jesus and have time with him in God's word as part of our private disciplines, which we'll hit on in a couple of weeks too. So it's not just about being in God's word corporately. Of course, it's that part of it, but it's also come to Jesus and say, Lord, what do you have for me? Friends, there are so many different Bible plans that you could start right now today that can help us create a structure and a plan and an idea for you to be able to be in God's word every day of this year. But if we just line ourselves up to listen and approach him and attend, and we're we're attentive, but we don't put it into practice. We don't do application. We're missing the point. We're going to the gym with our bag without working out. We're going on a date or having a meeting and just staring at our phones and not attending to the person. We continue on. Verse 47 and 48, or sorry, the rest of 48. So remember, so when that happens, when the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. So what was the difference between that builder and the builder we're about to see? Verse 49 says this. But the one who hears my words, okay, so, so they still are attentive, but does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The first one, you put the foundation in the wrong place. It's about where. Matthew 7 is about where. Build it on the rock, not on the sand. Luke 6 points us to the idea of we don't have a foundation if we don't listen and we don't, our foundational faith, if we don't put our word, his words into practice. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So we all build a foundation on something, but how we build it is we want to be people who dig deep. We want to be people who build our foundation and Jesus already laid it, but let's build upon it. So let's go to the next slide here as we continue on. Andy Stanley says it this way. He talks about this. He says, we can be the most learned of believers, but if our knowledge doesn't move us toward application, our faith will wither. I wanted to give you that closer up picture of that center plant that was in that view from far away. So let's go to this picture here. And it's just, it's like the saddest soil. And uh, before Gail actually clipped it and helped it, it, it was the, um, all the leaves and like there's still a few leaves and it was just drooping over the, over the side. And it is like whatever you picture as the physical embodiment of sadness is what it looks like. It's just like, oh, like just all hanging all over. And I remember one of our girls when they were really young, like when they would be sad, they would just, like their whole bodies would be like, oh, I don't wanna do that. And walk around, and like, that's, it's so cute. I don't, you know, you just navigate it. But it's recognized that this has, is there technically something that, yeah, technically, but is this gonna grow? No, it won't be able to grow. It, it the soil is not there. So we're not even going to get to the parable of the soils in Matthew 13 and Luke 8, but we want to be good soil. The soil's not there. It hasn't been watered properly. It wasn't put in proper lighting. They have not, it was not aligned to get the light that it needs. It wasn't attended to in the sense of I was attentive enough. I wasn't attentive enough to water it and care for it. And therefore, it's gone. I know it's emotional. Let's have a moment. I feel like, you know, when I look at the plan, I just want to be sad. No. So here's what I want to close with. Another Andy Stanley quote says this. What makes the difference in our lives is not simply gaining biblical knowledge, but being exposed to teaching that makes the Bible meaningful, practical, and applicable to everyday life, and then responding with action. If if in our sermons here on Sunday mornings, and our teachings, and small, if, if our sermons, our small groups, our teachings are based on, we just wanna give you some cool info about God. That can be great, but cool info does not provide the sunlight for a plant to grow. It does not provide the water for it to be nourished, for the soil to be nourished. It's good, and I love it. And that's my problem as a preacher, is that I love all this, what I find to be fascinating info, But sometimes I get so excited about it that I don't know how to properly communicate it to you all or I don't realize this really isn't necessary for this specific sermon. So I love information and I love being able to go on that journey of learning, but I have a week to do it and you guys have 40 minutes. And so I can't take you on my whole journey that I go on. However, my goal is for us to say, okay, what does the Bible say about something and how can you apply it to your lives? So I mentioned earlier that Luke chapter 6, it's the Sermon on the Plain, and it lists several different commands that, God, that Jesus says to his people. And then he closes that with, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. So we're going to put on the screen 12 different commands that are in Luke 6. And I just want us to leave, let's leave this for a couple moments if we can. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Turn the other cheek. Give to everyone who asks you. Don't demand what's been taken. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. Be merciful. Don't judge. Don't condemn. I put don't condemn twice, so don't condemn me. Um, and then forgive. So I'm going to leave this up for a moment. I, can't, I can preach God's word. I can show what God's word says. I can't determine for each and every one of you which one of these needs to be applied in your week this week. You can hear God's word. You can be in attendance, and you can be attentive, attentive Excuse me, and pay attention. But only you can apply. So maybe for you, let's, we're not going to say, hey, um, you know, uh, let's see, don't judge someone. Let's say, hey, don't judge someone for the rest of your life. Like, that's a little overwhelming. But maybe we say, hey, for the next seven days, until we come back together next Sunday, don't judge someone. Don't judge them. Recognize that the degree to which you judge others is the degree to which you will be judged. And that's from the Matthew 7 version of this, Matthew 7 too. So we're going to leave this up for a moment. and. You, maybe it's you write it down. Maybe you tell someone who's sitting with you. Maybe you let your spouse know. Maybe you just communicate, but share it with someone so that they can hold you accountable to just be like, hey, have you been judging people recently? Hey, are you condemning people um, twice, apparently? (laughs) Or are are you just not merciful to people? Do you have someone that's mistreating you and you're like, I just don't pray for them. I curse them. I don't bless them. Take one of these, and for the next seven days, commit to just doing that one. I'm not asking for the world. I'm asking for a step. Let's do one of those, and you can decide which one that is, because here's what we look at here as we close. What really affects, any Stanley, closing quotation here, what really affects our lives is not acquiring biblical knowledge. It's not knowing that Jesus said, don't condemn, or don't judge, or be merciful, or give to those who ask. It's not knowing that. It's not acquiring biblical knowledge, but obedience to biblical truth. When I became a pastor, um, or when I became a Christian, it was September twentieth, two 2003, and then a couple months later, I went and I was listening to Pastor Miles McPherson preach at The Rock because I was at UC San Diego, and I remember that when I was hearing him preach, the Bible just started coming alive to me. We're going through like Genesis and um, just hearing these lessons and realizing it was coming alive, and then hearing... Um, In November, the second Sunday of November, just hearing the Lord's voice as clear as I've ever heard it, saying, I want you to do that, to be a senior pastor, to preach. And it took me 14 years to get to that point. But practical biblical teaching changed my life, and practical biblical teaching is now my honor to be part of my calling. Practical biblical teaching can change your life. To be in a place where you can hear biblical, practical lessons out of God's word and how to apply it. But friends, the old saying goes that you can lead a horse to water, you can't force it to drink. I can't force you to apply any of these things. That's up to you. But what we will do is that we will be a church and I will continue to work as a resolution this year to come up with a practical step whenever we come together of how you can take this lesson or this sermon or this passage And apply it to your lives. Because what's most important for our growth, one of the five things that God uses to revive us, to grow our faith, is not more acquiring a biblical knowledge, but obedience to biblical truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service this morning. I thank you for, um, Lord, the fact that, again, you love each and every one of us. God, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have brought us all here today, whether for the first time or whether we've been here for years, whether we're watching online or in person, whether we're watching in the middle of the week, you brought us to this service, to this sermon for a reason. And God, we may remember times when through practical biblical teaching, your word came alive and you became more living and active and vibrant in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that if some of us are still struggling with that, God, that you would revive us to be in attendance and align ourselves with times where we are in hearing your word, that we would be attentive and hear what you have to say and that we would apply what that is. So God, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, move in each and every one of us to think which one of those things in Luke 6 you are calling us to do today. Holy Spirit, in the silence, we believe you are speaking. May we know and hear your voice and recognize it And may we not just call you Lord, Lord, but then do not do what you say. May we be obedient and following your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.